Hello, and welcome to Monco on the Move podcast. I'm Molly Hafner, Director of Marketing at Montgomery County Community College. And I'm Jared Brown, Assistant Dean of Academic Affairs at Monco's Pottstown campus. Jared. Hello, Molly. Happy middle of summer. Yes, we're gearing up for fall. Getting ready for fall and the students coming back, it's going to be so amazing. Yes, I'm, I know I'm looking forward to seeing our students, some returning faculty and staff. And speaking of faculty, yes, um, we have an amazing representation of, of faculty uh, who is our guest today. Yeah. You know, faculty at Monco are always doing amazing work. They're researching, publishing, doing work in the community, they're traveling, they're looking for new ways to really engage students in and outside the classroom. Yep. And so today, uh, we have a, a very own faculty member who has recently been tapped to help promote the Fulbright Scholarship Program. Okay. So Sociology Associate Professor Garvey Lundy has been named a Fulbright Scholar Alumni Ambassador. And alumni ambassadors represent the best of the Fulbright yep. U.S. Scholar Program That's and right. are selected through a competitive process. Very impressive. Ambassadors serve uh, two terms and present information on the Fulbright experience at multiple events on college campuses and academic conferences each year nationally. That's right. And Montgomery County Community College has hosted Fulbright scholars in the past. Yes, right. So such as our a chemistry, chemistry professor, Dr. Zhazu from China, history professor Fernando da Silva Camargo from Brazil, education professor Rosnini Beniti Hashim from Malaysia, and artist professor Safis Yo Abagmenu from Kenya. Very cool. So amazing, amazing representation. Yeah, four. Yeah. The Fulbright Scholar Program, um, it's funded by the U.S. Department of State, and it supports more than 800 U.S. faculty and, and professionals each year to teach or conduct research in over 135 countries around the world. Totally global, universal, amazing. And the Fulbright Award, it's a very prestigious honor that brings distinction to the faculty member and their institution. That's right. With all that said, let's welcome Professor Lundy to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Although it's kind of hot outside, um, <laughs> yeah. it's cool in here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, Professor Lundy, um, so just tell us about yourself. What's your background? Well, let me give you a, a background uh, or an overview of who I am. Yes. Um, I was born in Haiti, um, and I came to this country at a very tender age of six. Uh, in particular, I came to um, the holy city, as I like to call it, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, <laughs> New York. Okay. Um, it's where I spent my formative years, so Brooklyn has a dear spot in my heart. Um, I attended Brooklyn College, and from there I went to Penn State to get my graduate degrees in sociology. After that, I did some postdoctoral work at the University of Pennsylvania um, here in Philadelphia, and while there I did research on education, and I published or co-authored a book with some of my colleagues titled The Source of the River. Mm. And I've authored some other books or co-authored some other books as well dealing with education, in particular one titled African Americans and Homeschooling, which came out in 2015. Mm. Um, as a Haitian immigrant, I also do research on Haitian identity and migration processes, so I've written several articles on the Haitian experience um, for Haitian Americans in America. Um, I've been teaching here since 2008. I live in Philadelphia, 
and I teach general courses in sociology, um, like intro, family, um, and um, death and dying. Not a happy topic, but <laughs> nevertheless, one, one, a topic one can look at from a sociological perspective. Sure. Well, um, just on behalf of Mongo, we are very honored to have you as part of our faculty. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Fulbright program. Uh, when did you participate and why did you join? Well, um, the Fulbright program and my participation um, has a sort of a long backstory. I think the initial seeds for my participation in the Fulbright came from the scholar in residence that you mentioned earlier. I saw them about um, my department or my college, and that sort of sort of laid the seed for my interest in the Fulbright, and it took a while for that seed to germinate and to grow into fruition. So fast forward 2017, I said, you know what, I, I think I need a break um, in terms of scenery, in terms of uh, pace, in terms of my uh, teaching. And I wanted to expand my experience as a scholar. And I dared to apply for a Fulbright scholar. Mm. Um, and I did that knowing that I was teaching at a community college. And I went to the whole process, or I entered the whole process with a great degree of trepidation. But I was encouraged by my dean and by some good friends of mine that said that I could do it. Mm. And after all, we here at Monca hosted four other Fulbright scholars. So I figured if Fulbright scholars can come here, by all means, I can go there. That is somewhere outside the world. Right. So I went through the process of reading in detail the application process and what they were looking for. And I wrote a proposal or an essay sort of linking my experience as a Haitian-American with the need or my desire to go to a country that has a lot of remnants or a lot of um, similarities to Haiti. Mm. Um, Haiti, as you know, is the first black republic in the Western Hemisphere. And anthropologically, it has what many people argue um, has a high African retention in terms of the culture. A lot of the culture has aspects directly to African culture. So my desire was to go to Africa and teach and perhaps reconnect with that African experience. You know, of course, I've been to Haiti many times and I've been to Africa many times, but never have I taught there and immersed myself completely in the culture and, um, and sort of flex my experience or my muscle as a scholar in the context of Africa. And I felt the Fulbright um, scholarship was the perfect vehicle for me to do so. Wow. <laughs> Should no. I keep saying something? Yes. Yeah, oh, no. Uh, you can, so, yeah. so, so um, I, I, I went about writing a, a detailed um, um, essay. I went through various iterations of it. And again, it was through the help and feedback of many of my colleagues that I perfected a final draft. And I, I, I think what helped me was I gave a good story. Um, mm -hmm. I can, of course, give facts, give details, anthropological, sociological, linguistic, but I really honed about the. I really honed in on the personal experience and my personal desire as an individual to go abroad and to expand my horizon. I think anyone who wants to pursue something, um, they should first tap into their heart, and from there it will grow. And, and you get all the other stuff: the facts, the 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 historical background, and the data, but. The heart of my proposal was a was an emotional and a heartfelt proposal, nice. and it was, um, as you know, accepted. And I, I was mm -hmm. thankful that uh, this institution, Monco, Montgomery County Community College, made every effort to facilitate my going away for ten months, which is mm. in fact two semesters. And as a teaching-heavy institution, to lose a full-time faculty for two semesters 
is a blow. Mm-hmm. But Monco, knock on wood, <laughs> came to bat for me, and they made all things possible. I was, ab- I was allowed to teach as well um, as participate. That is, I was allowed to teach here at the college virtually as well as participate fully in the process and immerse myself in the process over there in Africa. Mm-hmm. So when we say Africa, that's the continent. Let me be more specific. My Fulbright was to the Central African country of Cameroon. Okay, Cameroon is, is right there in the center of Africa and is surrounded by many um, um, nations. It's a country with over 200 languages um, oh. and it has about that many um, ethnic groups. So you can imagine. And it's a country unlike many other countries in Africa in that it was administered or colonized by three former European powers, the German, the French, and the English. So uh, people often say that where Cameroon go, so does the rest of Africa because it has so many of the things that other African nations have in order to make themselves a full participating member of this global world of nations that it has to overcome that if you can analyze the situation in Cameroon in terms of this linguistics, cultural, and colonial experience, you're more or less analyzing the issues of all Africa. So it was a a central, it was exactly, (laughs) thank you, it was a microcosm of all of Africa. So I chose that country. Um, And there were also linguistic reasons for why I chose it. Um, As you said in your introduction, um, Jared, that Mm -hmm. I'm from Haiti. And um, because of that, I do have some facility in French, but my facility in French is sort of lacking in that it's not a language I engage in often, given that I spent my formative years here in America. But I could pass if <laughs> forced to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but because Cameroon is a country that has two official languages, English and French, again, a remnant of its past colonial experience, I felt it was the perfect place or the perfect theater or the perfect um, laboratory for me to engage in this new phase in my life. I could um, engage in French and in English. You know, I always had English as a default language if ever I got caught in my inability to express myself as exactly or as precisely as I wanted to in French. So here I am. Helpful, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So here I am in Cameroon. I was given a teaching scholarship. That is, I was given uh, an award where I was a scholar to teach um, at the University of Yaoundé, one. And Yaoundé is the capital of the country. It is the capital of Cameroon, and it is the center of the Francophone or French-speaking sector of the country. But the university has a policy that professors can teach in either French or in English. But the majority of my students, because of this location, were French-speaking with a little bit of English-speaking students. So to accommodate them and to make up for my deficiency in French, I sort of taught in both languages. You ask, how did I do that? Well, my overheads, my PowerPoints were in French, Mm. and my discourse, my narrative, my speech, my lectures were in English. And did Mm. most of your students, were they typically bilingual? They were a handful of bilingual students, Mm -hmm. but uh, to a large part, given the political cultural conditions in Cameroon, a lot of them had a hard time with the English, which is why the overheads had to be in French. And I could accommodate certain um, students by sometime dropping or or, or falling into French if I felt this was an important case that needed a French explanation. 
and again, this was an, 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 an opportunity for me to flex my French muscles, to yeah. use French in, in a daily basis that I hadn't used in a long time. Um, you can take French for many years, but unless you're using it, right. You're losing it. Yeah, it was it was good. For I me. agree it was, it with was, that it, statement. It, it <laughs> I did six me. years of French, and yep, can't speak a lick. Yeah. So, so okay, when you were in Cameroon, you were teaching sociological theory, American sociology, the theory of postcolonial and colonial African theory. So, I'm just curious about you know, I mean, there obviously there were some cultural. Um, recognizable familiar things you're saying a lot a lot but that was there any kind of like culture shock when you went there that surprised you tell us a little bit about your experience and teaching in a in a another country and how that worked you know um um, people often ask me about this culture shock and i I would say in all honesty that before i left i didn't expect to have any culture shock Hmm. because again i've been to africa many times um but this is the first time that i've totally immersed myself you know you know i've been to africa for maybe a trip a week as a conference here or there but this is a a case where i'm living there for 10 months i have to go to work i have to make do i've got to go shopping and i've got to live a daily life in a country and a culture that although intellectually I may be familiar with, but uh, on a personal level, I, I'm not. Sure. So that was a, a, a getting used to. That was a, a learning curve that I had to overcome. And that was an attempt on my part to use muscles that I had to use. I, I often say that it's, it's the experience of being off balance and having to recalibrate and get your balance, mm. um, whether you're on a balancing beam or whether you're walking a, f- a tightrope. But it happens on on a daily basis. And the attempt or the process of recalibration, the process of regaining your balance is a process of building new muscles. It's a process of learning about yourself and about the people in the context. So I recommend anybody to do that, to get yourself out of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. and get yourself off balance. And the whole process of getting back in balance or adapting to the situation is a learning process. It makes us better people, and it makes us more open to differences in our society and in our world. Mm-hmm. So it occurred on a daily basis for me. And even when I thought I knew the proper balance, something happened, and I had to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a fascinating process, both yeah. intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually for me. Um, and your question about um, culture shock, I think leads to the question of identity. As an American teaching courses on American sociology or American sociological theory, um, how do I, a hyphenated American, that is Haitian American, represent the American narrative vis-a-vis sociology to these students who are not American and perhaps for the first time are seeing someone who is an American, who has an American passport and is being sponsored by the State Department? What do I say? Mm-hmm. How do I say it, and how do I be true to myself and true to the experience of being an American, and an African American for that, because sure. there are many types of Americans. So that was a process for me. How do I be true to myself, be true to my experience, and be true to the, the subject matter? And I think I was questioned on a daily basis, not necessarily directly, but internally. What is the true self? What is the truth here? Um, what is the honesty here? Mm. What is me? 
Um, I can go into details about those issues, but sounds like uh, the basis of a novel. Yeah, well, it, 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 does, it does. It does. It does. I, I, I can go into details about those, but I, um, just use your imagination um, about any attempt to find your authentic self. Um, even when you go through puberty, even as you go through various life cycles, maybe life, maybe mid life crisis, you're always looking for your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And in this context, I was looking for my authentic self within a 10 month span in the context of teaching sociology as a hyphenated American. And I say that with a level of trepidation because before I didn't recognize myself as such, mm-hmm. but this experience brought it to fore. Um, how does that happen? And who are you? Half of learning who you are is learning who you're not sometimes. It, precisely. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's yeah, that's always an interesting when you assume, oh, I'm just going to fit right in. You're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I have Defining. supported many students mm-hmm. who I knew, mm-hmm. and then they did a travel abroad mm-hmm. experience where they took classes in, a, in another country for a semester, right? Mm-hmm. And after they came back, as a result of that immersive experience that you spoke about, mm. the transformation that I saw in the student mm. was amazing. It was, you know, the maturity, they mm. matured, mm-hmm. they maybe found a piece of who they were yeah. or who they were meant to be mm-hmm. because of this experience and very grateful mm-hmm. for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Every student that I've ever worked with that, that, took on the opportunity to study abroad in that moment um, was just transformed. Yeah. And so I'm I'm relating that to sort of mm. your transformation Orger. as a professor mm. um, and how this really benefited you. Mm. So what I want to know mm. is as a result of this amazing experience that you had, how has it influenced how you teach here at Monco? Oh. That's a very good question, Jared. I'm glad you asked that. Um, um, how did it t- tra- transform or tra- how did it change? How did it transform my teaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't speak to that unless I speak to how it transformed me as an individual. Right. Um, and, and again, um, let's talk about this almost, um, um, how do I say, um, this uh, – existential (laughs) transformation that occurred, if I can use that word, existentialism. I I, I went there with the impression that this this surgeon in in Africa, 10-month surgeon as a Fulbright, would make me more radical and make me more adversarial. Uh, Mind you, this is in the midst of a very contentious political situation in America in terms of our electoral process, in terms of many um, 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 citizens' death, African-American death, on the hands of police officers. Um, and here I am going to Africa, and Africa, if you know anything about African-American history, has a mythical place in our consciousness and in our um, definition as to who we are. So here I was going not just for 10 days a week, but for 10 months. I, I didn't get what I was expecting. Hmm. Um, Molly and Jared, I, 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 I came back, or during my experience, I, I was blown away by the simplicity but the profound sense of our humanity. What do I mean by that? That you, I, everyone else um, is human. Ah, that's trite, that's trivial. No, 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 it's not. 
the human spirit exists in all of us. And when you see that on a daily basis and you see characters in your encounter, whether it's in the, the, the marketplace or whether it's in class, whether it's one of the administrators, whether it's the taxi driver who's taking you to work, you begin to realize that these characters that you encounter are representative of everyone on earth. And in fact, that we are these, this one, we're this one creature, mm-hmm. we're, this, we're, we're this singular entity that we're sharing this global planet, this global um, world, this global neighborhood, this blue marble. And that hit me in such a profound way. I feel like it's, um, I, I feel like I've, I've been, um, how should I say, been knocked off my, 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 my stallion and, <laughs> and, and, and seen a vision. Um, and, and not to be religious on anyone here, but it really opened my eyes into the beauty of our humanity. And once you see that, you teach in a different way. Because every member of your class, every student you face, you realize they have a history, they are humans, they have a quality that you have that everyone else possess. You know? So you have close family members who are dear to your heart. Well, those students have character and they have the same sort of humanity as those individuals that you love. Mm-hmm. So the only logical conclusion that you can go through, if that is the case, is to, um, is to show them that same type of love. And that's a difficult request, but it's the only possible one to have that same sort of love or the same sort of respect or the same sort of um, um, genuine feeling for your students as you would have for someone who's dear to you because you've bestowed upon them the same sort of humanity that you would bestow upon a child, a mother, a lover, a friend. And if that is the case, you teach differently. If that is the case, you are more open to them. If that is the case, you acknowledge their uniqueness and their humanity. And believe it or not, when you're that vulnerable in front of students, students pick it up mm. and they become vulnerable back to you. You know? and. I always believe that before knowledge is imparted, before information is imparted, you have to impart care. Students must know that you care first, (laughs) and only then will they open themselves up to the knowledge that you would have to offer. That's a great advice for any authority, any leader, anyone (laughs) who's trying to impact anyone, really, Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. that has to be that care first. You see the humanity in other people first. Mm. I I completely agree, and I Mm. love that. It's it's profound, and it's really beautiful. It's simple, but it's so beautiful. Mm. And it's it's just like, how much better would our world be if we all looked at each other with that same kind of respect and empathy and Mm -hmm. understanding, you know, that Mm. we're all, yeah, I I love that. It's Mm. really, really beautiful. Mm. Um, All right, so lastly, let's just talk about your role as an alumni ambassador. Sure. Not sure what that means. So if you could explain that to us. And what will you be doing? Uh, where will you be speaking? What are the specific duties of an ambassador? How does that work? Well, currently there are 42 active alumni ambassadors um, for the Fulbright Scholar. Okay. And as you know, Fulbright was started by J. William Fulbright, Senator of Arkansas, Democrat, in 1946. And we have partnerships with over 160 countries around the world. And and. Their, their, their mission, their mission is, is really three-part, to foster mutual understanding um, between nations and to advance knowledge across communities and to improve lives around the world. Okay. As a Fulbright ambassador, my job is to promote that and to encourage more people 
to be involved in that endeavor, involved in that process, involved in that work. You know, so that's the purpose of Fulbright. That's my purpose as a Fulbright scholar. In fact, one of the things I came across that really hit home in terms of my mission as a Fulbright scholar is to, one, tell stories, powerful stories, as I've told the audience here at this, Fulb- at this podcast. When you tell a story, you, you touch an individual. It's not just about telling facts. And in the process of telling story, my attempt is to build a culture of Fulbright on this campus and on campuses around the country, and in particular, community colleges. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you go to Temple University or if you go to the University of Pennsylvania, there's a pretty sizable cadre of professors who've participated in Fulbright or are currently in Fulbright programs. But there's a paucity of that in community college. My job is to is to what? Promote the gospel of Fulbright, as they say, <laughs> among Fulbrighters, right? So how do I create a, a culture of Fulbright? How do I tell the story of Fulbright among my colleagues? Yeah. Because if one of our mission is to make connections, one of our missions is to teach, where else can you find teachers that are better than at community college? Here at community college, and Monaco in particular, you find the best teachers in the world. You find teachers who have honed their skills, teachers who have who are part excellent in terms of their ability to communicate information. So if Fulbright is looking for scholars who can teach, community college is the best place. And I want to encourage as many Fulbright, I want to encourage as many um, community college professors to engage in this process because we have something to offer. The way we teach here, in fact, given the nature of our student population, we're teaching in front of a miniature UN. Yeah. The diversity of our students <laughs> is, right. is enormous. Right. So we have some sort of experience. So could you imagine if we can take that and, ex- and export it around the world and make those connections and communicate those skills, communicate those information, and communicate the care that we have for our students? So is there a website or is there, you know, some, how would you tell if somebody was interested in um, applying? What, what would you tell them to well, do? The first thing is to go to the Fulbright website. It's quite detailed but very informative, which is what I did. I read in detail what the requirements were. And then you've got to ask yourself, what amongst the many categories of Fulbrights that are available, which one best fit me mm. as a scholar, as a researcher, as an individual? And there are many types there are many types. There's, there are Fulbrighters for artists, for singers. So you don't have to have a PhD. But if you're an artist and you, your art, your work is of some distinction, there's a Fulbright for you. Cool. If you just have a master's and you're a teacher, there's a Fulbright for you. If you're a, a good teacher, a PhD, and you've taught for 20, 30 years, you're emeritus, there's a Fulbright for you. If you're new to teaching and you want to do research, there's a Fulbright for you. If you're a doctoral student, there's a Fulbright for you. So my job is to promote that. And my job is to promote it specifically at the community college level because, again, the best teachers America has to offer is right here. Well, 
Professor Lundy, I have to say thank you for your story and your care mm-hmm. that you give to our students at Montgomery County Community College. We really appreciate your time that you spent with us here on the podcast today. What a fascinating story, and we want to congratulate you again on being named a Fulbright Alumni Ambassador. So special thanks also out to our sound recording and music technology student, Ethan Todd, who produced today's show. And thank you for listening to Monco on the Move podcast. Check back soon to hear more stories from our Monco family. Until next time, I'm Molly Hafner. And I'm Jared Brown. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to Monco on the Move. Students at Montgomery County Community College working in the sound recording and music technology program record, edit, and produce this podcast. Check out mc3.edu forward slash on the move to listen to our latest episode or download our podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also learn about the latest episodes by following us on social media. Have a guest in mind you think would be great for the podcast? Email Eric Devlin at edevlin at mc3.edu or Diane Van Dyke at dvandyke at mc3.edu. And come back next time to find out more about what's happening at your community college and catch our Montco Momentum. <laughs>